1: And she is going to be telling us how to launch our lives, um, not, not into space. I think some of us feel like we're in space all the time, as it is anyway. We don't need to be launched into it. But no, seriously, she is actually, she has been called a modern day hidden figure, you know, from the movie um, Hidden Figures. And um, that is because, you know, she is a woman a black woman who has, in fact, um, managed to launch or be a part of helping to launch rockets into space for NASA, just like, just like in the movie. Uh, so welcome to the show, Olympia LaPointe. Hi, Dr. Carol. It's so nice to be on your show. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, you have um, a fascinating life. I think people, you know, it, everyone, it's such a common thing to say in conversation uh, you know, if someone says that something is hard or whatever, you say, "Well, it's not rocket science, right?" So, <laughs> so, um, so you know, this you've you've really uh, achieved quite a, a high level of of achievement. Something you can be, inc- of course, incredibly proud of. Um, and uh, but it didn't always it didn't look that way from the time you were born. So I want you to take us on your journey um, from all the things that you overcame to get to where you are now.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. And yeah, there's a lot of things that I uh, had to overcome to become an award-winning rocket scientist. And my, my goal right now is to help people understand that no matter what they've been through or no matter what they have gone through, that they have the ability to still launch their lives into success and, uh, and change the way that they're thinking so they can move forward. And I had to do that in my own life. And I did not grow up with the best Set of circumstances. When people think about rocket science, they think about, oh, this person has always been prepped since the early ages to go into stellar performance, and that wasn't the case in my in my life. I had <laughs> very very challenging situations, but uh, uh, just to give you just a couple of things that happened. I was very young. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles uh, to a single mother who was raising four children on our own. We were on welfare food stamps. Uh, we were living in poverty, and we didn't have even uh, food to eat. And so I would often go to the school, especially during summertime when they had the summer school, um, like extracurricular activities just so I could get a meal. And it was just so great to go to school not only for the education but so I could have something to eat. Mm. So that was like the – that was – just to give you a little uh, taste of the type of situation that we grew up in.
1: Now, and, where were you in the uh, line of children?
2: I was the second oldest. I have an older sister that's eight years older, uh, one that's four years younger, and one that is nine years younger. So I was the fourth in line of uh, four girls in the wait. middle of South Central Los Angeles.
1: Wait, wait. Yeah. I, thought you you, I thought you said you were the second oldest.
2: Yeah, second oldest. Yeah. Yes. So there's yes. one older okay. than me and then two younger yes. than myself.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, in school mm-hmm. in school that uh, besides <laughs> besides getting meals, free meals, um, it wasn't always easy. So tell us about that.
2: Oh, no, 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 not at all. It was not easy whatsoever. Uh, I gave a TED Talk, Reprogramming Your Brain to Overcome Fear, and I'm very thankful because l- millions of people have actually seen that talk online, or close to a million right now. And so in this talk, I talk about what happened in fifth grade. Is I was in a fifth grade classroom, and I was sitting next to a boy who was already recruited into a gang, because at that time of year, and that time uh, in general and location, people were recruited into... Uh, gangs, especially young boys, and so this young boy was sitting next to me at the time, and he was recruited into a gang. He and I got into an argument one day, and we always actually used to spout words back and forth because I I always had a smart mouth. I didn't realize I could make money at it mm-hmm. <laughs> years later, but the, in this case, I what I I had a smart mouth, and he and I were arguing, and one day he did something where he crossed the line, and he stood up, and he had this ring on his finger, and the, the ring that he had. Uh, was filed down so it was like a knife. Hmm. And so he socked me in my face and ripped my face open. I almost lost my eye. And wow. that was that was the part that was that changed my life for the good and bad. Uh, for years later on, I had to, well, I almost lost my eye. I was taken to the hospital immediately, and uh, five letters of scissors was placed in my face, and this is what I share in the TED Talk. And it was through that experience that my mother pulled me out of that school, and she fought to put me into another school in another area, and she found another school, and it was a school two hours away on the bus, and I found myself going to the school two hours away, and it was a completely different uh, educational system. I was in previously a school that was two years behind, and now I was going to school that was in my age range, and I found myself struggling and mm-hmm. i started feeling algebra and and geometry and later on years later calculus and then chemistry and i was actually it was i was actually on a course not to do well in school uh, but the great thing was during all, all the school year i did have a great experience which was when I was 6 years old, I went to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California where I saw jet engines and rocket engines and their own mission control. And at the age of 6, I told myself I wanted to be a rocket scientist. And I I programmed that and programmed that into my brain back then, not recognizing that I held on to that concept and held on to that belief about myself, no matter what that was happening in my life. And I was, if you fast-forward now, several years later, when I'm failing algebra, failing geometry, failing chemistry and calculus, I was on a road to not going to rocket science, not going to any type of technical field. And everything changes one day when there's this one teacher that says, he is willing to help people during the winter break understand the mathematics, and he was going to volunteer his time to tutor people. And Mm -hmm. I looked at that as an opportunity because we had no money for tutoring or education or or anything like that. And he said, all you have to do is just get to the campus during the winter break, and I'll spend an hour each day tutoring people Monday through Friday for the next 30 days. And I looked at that as an opportunity. And I didn't even have money to go to the campus at the time uh, but there was a gas station attendant on the corner that knew that I really enjoyed going to school. And he loaned me. I shouldn't say loaned me because he actually gave me the money. I never paid him back. He gave me $1.35 each way to catch the bus to the campus so I could sit with the math teacher one hour each day. And it took two hours to get over to this campus. And there was the, where the epiphany came. is When I sat with the teacher... I recognized that I had the ability to learn, and I was actually smart. But not only that, I recognized I was facing a huge fear in my own life, and it was translating itself into the mathematics, and it was translating itself into the education. And as as long as I could recognize when the fear was coming up in myself, I could remove it and move forward so I could learn. Uh-huh. And that was that was the breakthrough in myself, was recognizing that I was the one owning the fear, and as long as I clung to it, as long as I thought that that was my identity, I was going to always almost self-sabotage myself. And if I could learn to remove that fear and move forward, that's when success was going to happen in my life. And that was Okay, well, the before, we,
1: before, before we continue with that, I just want to go back. Um, mm-hmm what was it when you were six years old and you said you went to JPL the laboratory in Los Angeles and um, and that and something told you I mean you, you had this uh, what epiphany or something that you wanted to be a, a, a rocket scientist what was it that day what, what did you was it something you saw something somebody said what, what, oh, what happened
2: great, great question it was a picture
1: <laughs> <laughs> a
2: simple picture uh, we were on this field trip and we were seeing the rocket engines, and then we went into the mission control room and we saw the big TV screens, and it was a dark room, and it was just very fascinating with all the technology. And then I remember looking at the pictures and then pivoting my body to the right where I saw this picture on the wall. And it was of men launching rockets. And it was like four men one, one had glasses, one had pocket protector. <laughs> And the other two were leaning over the desk and looking at the paperwork, and they were building a rocket engine. And I remember looking at that photo, thinking, I want to be just like those men. Mm. And that was the moment in time where I made that decision.
1: Because it looked like that would be... Now, do you think part of it was because you wanted to be sort of included in this kind of elite group, like these men looked important, or did they look like... You know, they were excited by what they were doing. I wanted to create
2: things, just like they did. Uh Uh-huh. And and create the most powerful thing that you can think of as like a rocket engine. I wanted to create something powerful that would help people. And that's what I thought.
1: Well, um, did you ever tell... When's the first time you told somebody that your goal was to be a rocket scientist? Oh, my gosh. I don't think I ever did. (laughs) because I would imagine like if you would have come home at six years old and told your mother or told people in the neighborhood or whatever hey you know what when I grow up I'm going to be a rocket scientist they might well have said you're crazy
2: (laughs) (laughs) I never told I never ever told anyone I wanted to be a rocket scientist it's something I just kept in my my own psyche and never said that or shared that with anyone and it wasn't until 25 years later was it 25? Close to 25 years later, when I sat at the desk where I was working as a rocket scientist, and then I looked on the wall, and then I looked. <gasps> In the room, the the it was called the Rosk. It was the Rocketine Operation Support Center. It was like the the mission that we we supported Mission Control in that room. And I remember looking around and I thinking to myself, oh, I'm doing just what I uh, saw those men doing. And it was like 25 years later. And so that was like <laughs> the big epiphany. We're like, Oh my God, I made it!
1: <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I that yes, that must have felt wonderful. And you know probably a good thing that you didn't, you probably sensed that you shouldn't tell anybody, and it was a good thing, because if people would have discouraged you, because they would have thought they wouldn't want you to, even people who loved you, but they wouldn't want you to be disappointed by trying to go after something that was impossible. Hmm.
2: I didn't think it was impossible, I just thought it was really cool at the time, and I didn't recognize the the steps, actually, I had, no one told me the steps to go into rocket science, absolutely nobody. I just, chose to go into mathematics after being tutored by Mr. Provincio. He was a teacher in 11th and 12th grade that helped me turn around my math scores. And I just chose to go into mathematics not recognizing that was one of the prerequisites Uh of going into rocket science. Uh
1: Uh-huh. And when you would go back and forth to school on um, the bus for two hours every day, uh, or two hours each way, right? Yeah. Did you, I mean... Did that help in the sense that you were able to make use of that time to study or do homework? Oh, no. My brain was fried. After, <laughs> After I had sat with him for one hour, my brain no, was I don't like mean, I don't No, I don't mean just him. I mean normal school.
2: Oh, just normal school. Do you know what it was? I, I actually sat and I didn't study necessarily on the bus. I couldn't study simply because the physics of the bus, it was shaky, uh, every mm-hmm. time the book, I would put a book in my lap and it would shake, I couldn't stay focused on the words. And so for me personally, I could not study on the bus because it, it would move the words on the page and I would have, lose my mm-hmm. focus uh, visually. So right. what I decided to do is just simply look out the window and look at the difference in the environments. From, from a place that where I was, which was the Beverly Hills type of school, and then traveling back to my home environment, which was a South Central environment, I looked at every single block and I looked at the people walking on the street and I looked what separates people from this mm-hmm. area versus this area. Mm-hmm. And for years, I actually, for, instead of actually studying my, my work on the bus, I actually just studied the people and in, studied in their mannerisms, how they walked, what they did, what they said from one place to the next place and, and, and started understanding what, why are there differences in, in people or why are there differences in the way that people operate. And it all boiled down to the thinking. It's how we think. And you could be in the most prestigious place and still think poorly. Mm-hmm. And you could be in the most poverty-filled place and think the world of success and it all is based on your thinking and mm-hmm. that was the the epiphany that came to me is it doesn't matter where you are your thoughts are actually what defines your life
1: mhm now what before we continue you know beyond um, high school what uh, does your older sister do today <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you for asking she's an accountant she that's is, interesting. yeah. She is now. Uh, she's an accountant for a testing company, educational testing company.
1: <laughs> huh, so she went into math. She used a lot of math, also. Oh what yeah, about, she was.
2: Yeah, she was ten times faster at mathematics than I ever was. She was the one that actually tried to help me as much mm-hmm. as she could.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about um, your your sibling who was four years younger?
2: Four years younger, she is uh, living with her husband in Texas. So she has a family of her own in Texas right now. Uh
1: huh. Yeah. And what about the nine-year younger sibling? The nine-year
2: younger one. She is a single mom, and she is raising her daughter. And she is uh, a bus driver right now. So we all followed okay. different paths, and it was based on how we were, each one of us, were thinking in our own lives. How
1: that's really, yeah. that's really interesting. That um, what do you think was was happening in um, the life of your family that the two, that your older sister and yourself, oh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess we're going to have to wait till after the break for you to answer that question. <laughs> but, um, that, that your older sister and yourself, you know, went into very sort of academic pursuits and that your younger sisters um, didn't. So you can think about that while we're on the break. And I'm sure uh, everyone will be thinking about that too. And coming back, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Olympia LaPointe. She is a rocket scientist, a modern-day hidden figure. And um, her book. Oh, I have to mention her book. Absolutely, Uh, we'll be hearing about that. It's called Answers Unleashed, and um, you'll hear about what that means and what her theories are um, about the brain and thinking. We've kind of gotten a little a little preview of that, but um, how she believes that people can use the power of the brain to launch themselves, just like she has launched, help launched rockets. So stay tuned, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with the modern-day hidden figure from the movie Hidden Figures. Uh, She is like that in that she became uh, a rocket scientist overcoming incredible odds in childhood poverty. Um, She just talked about how she, a a gang member, um, used a kind of knife and uh, slashed her face, which, although although, of course, that was traumatic and uh, horrible. Uh, it, caused, it allowed her mother to, to have the reason, you know, to convince the school system that she deserved to go to a better school. Um, so I, before the break, I was asking you Olympia LaPointe, um, who, by the way, is the author of, and we'll talk more about her books later on, she's the author of Mathophobia, a book about how to overcome your fear of math, and her second book, Answers Unleashed, uh, how to use the power of the brain to make your life better and, which, and how she actually used this in her own life. But before the break, I was asking you, because as a psychiatrist, these are the things that turn me on. <laughs> and how, uh, you know, certain, how siblings in a family can turn out so differently. And Olympia was talking about how her elder sister Became an accountant. Then she was next, and she became a rocket scientist. Then her next sister, four years younger, became a housewife, um, having a family. And then her very youngest, nine years younger, is a bus driver, which is kind of ironic, considering you spent all those hours <laughs> on the bus going to school. So, what what do you think? Um, what do you think was different? I mean, sometimes it has to do with. Uh, you said your mother was a single mom. Did I don't know if she got, did she get married in the interim or not get, or, or get divorced in the interim? Was she married when you were growing up? What, what uh, no, happened she, in the... Uh, she was actually single. She was married at
2: first uh, to my older sister's uh, father, and so she was married and then she got out of, uh, she was in an abusive relationship, so she got out of that. And then uh, she had me, and then she had my two other sisters, and she was single for a very long time. Uh, raising us by herself. And I, I don't completely know the answer. Uh, I, I would be great if I did, but the truth is, I just don't really know what the answer is, and I don't necessarily know uh, how, or what, I should say, what my sisters thought or what they were thinking about their own experiences. Uh, but I know for me, um, when I, that happened, in my face was eyes open, and I recognized that. I was about to be a fifth grade grade dropout had my mother not uh, found another school for me to go to. I was about to be pulled out of school and not have the opportunity to go to school anymore and just watch Gilligan's Island reruns on the television. I mean, that's what it it was about to be like. And once she got me into that other school, it was like, I had had a second chance. I I had Mm -hmm. a second chance to actually learn. And I told myself I was going to do anything and everything I was going to succeed and I didn't at first I failed classes and everything else but I thought to myself it's either I'm going to be here at this school or go back to where I've come from and be in danger again and Mm -hmm. so that was the driving motivation just the motivation inside of me like I was going to keep moving forward no matter what because I couldn't go back Mm -hmm. so that was like the decision in my brain I don't necessarily know what happened in, in my sister's lives per se regarding their own education but how I looked at it was it was so important for me take it, it, There was an opportunity in front of me, and I was going to seize it. I mm-hmm. was going to, to take it, and I was going to run with it, and mm-hmm. I decided I wasn't going to ever go back. So that was the so decision. So it was
1: that mind. combination of having that uh, dream that was instilled when you were six, seeing that picture at the uh, NASA labs, and, um, and then having your face slashed and getting the opportunity to be in a better school where you could um, seize that moment. That so, you know, it's so interesting how seemingly random things in our lives um, really put us on the path that we're supposed to be on. Um, let's t- there are other things, besides, besides having your fa- face slashed at in the mm-hmm. fifth grade, there were mm-hmm. other things that you had to overcome during your childhood, uh, such as sexual abuse. Yes. That, that, was, that was tough.
2: Yeah, it was really fascinating because my brain didn't—my brain erased it. Um, at the age of eight, um, there was a family friend, and I talk about this in my uh, "Answers Unleashed" live talk at California State University Northridge to uh, a large group of people, where I talk about the theories in my new book "Answers Unleashed." And in in that talk, I talk about when I was eight years old, there was a family friend, and he was uh, someone I trusted, and in the middle of the night. I was raped by this man. And my brain just could not handle it, could not handle it. And so it erased it for decades. And it came back up years later when I was going through the work of of clearing out additional fears that I had. And this came up, and and I recognized, looking back, uh, that was one of the things that propelled me into going to science, is because in science there was no emotion involved. It was either Hmm. fact. Or it was it it was fact or a fiction. It was always going to tell me the truth, and I always desired and always pursued to find the truth in things. And that's when I look back. Uh, that was part of the reason why I went so gone home with with uh, just just the the science and the the technology and the the. the mathematics, is because it was something that offered truth in my life. No matter how you looked at it, it was always going to be stable and reliable, and that's something that I needed and clung to so desperately at that time in my Mm. life.
1: Yes, like two plus two will always be four, um, no matter what. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so now we're kind of uh, getting to high school graduation, and... um, where? What are you thinking about? I mean, so you applied to college. I know you went to college. So oh yeah, I applied to college. I applied. To, I applied. I didn't. My mother didn't necessarily know
2: how to fill out the forms for uh, schools. Uh, she she said she always told me, "Honey, the best I can do is just get you into the environment with other people." And you're going to have to ask them what to do because I can't tell you. I don't know what to do at all. The only Mm -hmm. thing I can do is get you there, and it's going to be your job to ask around because I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So that's where I said, all right, my mother says I have to ask around. So literally, my best friends were not necessarily people my age. My best (laughs) friends were their parents. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I would go to the parents, my friend's parents, and ask, how do I fill out this form? How, how do I do this? And um, one friend, Tevia, she, her father, her late father who passed away, I, I sat down and just he would come to school every single day and even be with her. And looking back, he was kind of like a <laughs> controlling parent, but it worked yeah. great in my case because he was always there on campus. So I would just go to him and I'd say, uh, Mr. Dobish how do I fill out this or what does this mean and what type of school should I try to have my mother put me into for high school and and he would answer and it was because of parents like him that I went home and I told my mother well Mr. Dobish said to do this, or Mr. Kaufman said to do this,
1: or uh-huh. Mr.,
2: uh-huh. Mr. such-and-such said to do this. And so I would take, just relay the message back to my mother, and she'd fill out everything and sign it exactly how the other people told me to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually allowed me to be able to go graduate high school and I graduated, and it's the most ironic thing, the way that I found a way to escape all the trauma and the past was to literally pretend I was in a different world. And what I did in high school is I went to uh, Alexander Hamilton Performing Arts Music Academy. So hmm. I learned to act and sing and dance, and I would place myself in these different characters so I wouldn't have to think about where I was about to go back home to. Hmm. That, that was like the way at times that I use to to focus on that. Uh, But when I graduated and when I had the opportunity to understand the mathematics and the the science from finally getting tutoring so I wasn't going to be failing the courses anymore, I decided that I was going to challenge myself. I was going to go into mathematics. And that was the first time that I realized that I could be myself and I could try and do something without fear and I, was, I made a decision that I was going to battle the fear and remove it by studying math. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Out of all the things, I chose to study mathematics. And for me, that was symbolic because it showed me I was going to overcome my fear.
1: Yeah, that
2: yes. That's the thing. And then, I, and then I graduated, and I went to California State University, Northridge, which is, uh, by the way, I believe it is probably one of the best universities that exist when it comes to all sorts of things, science, technology, and, and even radio, TV, film. And I had no idea how fortunate I was to be able to go to that campus where I met mentors. And these mentors helped me understand mathematics. And the first job I had was tutoring as a math uh, tutor, Mm -hmm. And that was the first job I had, and I didn't even understand all the information, but that was the only job that I was hired into. And I remember telling the the late Mrs. Pinkerton, uh, who was the boss at the time, I told her, I I don't understand half of this stuff. I was just so honest with her. Mm -hmm. And I remember what she did. She looked at me, and she just said, that's okay. Read the (laughs) book with them. And she uh-huh. said, read the book with them. And I looked at her. I'm like, read the book with them. She goes, yeah, she heard me. Read the book with them. And she walked <laughs> off. And I'm like, that is just so odd. And then, but I had direct instructions. Read the books with the students. That's what I was paid to do. And I found myself reading hundreds of books with the people I was tutoring and uh, when the people I was tutoring them and they'd say well how do you know how to do this or do you know how to do this and I just honestly look at them I said no I'm going to read the book with you and they thought oh, <laughs> I was
1: joking. <laughs> <laughs> well now so wait but so how did you um, afford to go to college? I mean I know that Cal State it's not as expensive as like a private college but still how did you afford to go there? My friend's parents showed me how to fill out scholarships Ah,
2: applications. mm -hmm. And it is through their help that I received scholarship applications for the first year. And when I went to California State University, Northridge, I actually didn't have enough money to go at first. And uh, I was on the verge of uh, just packing up and and not being able to move forward and and not go and learn because I didn't have enough money at first to go to the campus. Uh, We came from complete poverty. It's not like we had... Anything more than like ten dollars at a given time, and I remember. Uh, and I he he is the vice president now at California State University Northridge, Dr. William Watkins, and uh, he it was I was a freshman and I uh, I was about to go in but I didn't have enough money to go and I was. Uh, I came all that way and I was about to turn back and I went over into his office and he had introduced himself to the new students and says, anytime you need any type of help, come in. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had this this desire inside of me, no matter what, I was going to move forward. I didn't know how, but I was going to reach out for help. And so I, I took him up on that office and, and I made an appointment with him and I said, I've come all this far away, I have this much I've filled out all the paper, the financial aid. I don't even know what else to do, and I don't even know what resources I have. Can you help me? And he said, yes. And he went to the, and I'll never forget this, I'm so thankful. And I, I feel like I, I'm not going to cry, but (laughs) I feel like crying. You can
1: cry if you want. Go ahead if you feel like it.
2: It it is so, I'm so thankful for his help because he went to the financial aid office and explained my situation and they found scholarships for me to be able to go to school. Wow. And it was because of his help that allowed me to be able to get a quality education not only to, to go to California State University Northridge but to graduate one out of top five out of the university and later on uh, earned my master's to launch rockets.
1: Okay, so let's go there. Um, so you were graduated from college, and how how did you end up fr- from there to working for NASA?
2: A complete fluke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not something that I ever planned. I had this intention in the back of my head all along, but I had no idea that it was actually going to come to reality. Uh, When I graduated, all I was concerned about is health care. That sounds so odd, but I knew I needed to take care of my health, and I knew that before when I was on campus there was free health care, but I wasn't a full-time student, so I didn't have the opportunity to health care. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I should start working so I could have benefits, so I could have health care. I know that sounds like the oddest thing to do, but that's that's what was really important for me at the time. And so I started applying. And one of the people that I went to school with and was in one of my classes, he had started working at the Boeing Company. And I had ran into him one day, and he told me that he'd start working for the Boeing Company. And he said, you should apply. And I said, I don't even know what to apply to. He goes, well, put in your application, and then I'll tell them that you're putting in an uh, application, and then you can call them up. And I said, all right. And so I put in an application, and I called up to the uh, the Boeing Company at the time, and I said, and this is so bold on my part. This is probably very arrogant, but I, what I did is I said, I called up to the college recruiter, and this is a, a part of the human resources that a lot of uh, uh, freshmen do you not know about. Every single large uh, corporation has a college recruiter, and that's these hmm. are the individuals that are always seeking talented people to recruit into the company. And so I uh, called up to the company. I said, who's the person in charge of uh, uh, talking to, recruiting people into coming to the school? to the organization. They said, oh, that's our college recruiter. Let's transfer for you. So I contacted the college recruiter and I said, I heard you're looking for me. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: and that's how the conversation started. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did they laugh or did they think... Uh... Well, uh, to me, I had nothing to lose. I had <laughs> only everything to
2: gain, so I, I just said it like that, but it, they were just so surprised that somebody uh, said that, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I, my, the, the people on my campus said that you're looking for talented people to work at your organization,
1: so I thought uh-huh. I'd call you up. <laughs> uh-huh, okay, that's good, yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's and- what happened. And so then you went in for an interview and... Went in for an interview. And the interview I had wasn't with
2: a manager, it was with a team. It was a self-directed team at the time. And the self-directed team, uh, they were responsible for a panel of people interviewing the one candidate. And there was 12 people in the room and I sat with them and they asked me what I did and what type of projects I worked on and I just sat there and just answered the questions and then... I went home and I got a letter indicating that I was offered a position and I took it. And before I didn't know whether or not I should take it and I went to uh, another mentor that I had on the campus, Dr. Neubauer, at the time he taught mathematics, and I said, I have an opportunity to go to this this company, should I do it or not? He looked at me and he says, go, go. And so I did (laughs) and then I ended up, that's where my rocket science career started. Uh-huh. Uh, back in 1998. 1998,
1: that's 20 years ago. Wow. Okay, and, and okay, well, we need to stop there because we have another break to take. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we come back, we'll hear more about uh, launching the rockets. Um, my guest is Olympia Lapointe, and um, you are listening to her story how she launched her own <laughs> career, her own life, actually, uh, to become a rocket scientist. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're on the
0: cutting edge of social media.
1: Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm eager to get back to my guest, Olympia LaPointe, who is a real-life rocket scientist, um, like Hidden Figures, the movie. <laughs> and we're talking about how she rocketed herself through her life from poverty and uh, gangs and uh, sexual abuse and you know everything that could go wrong did, uh, but she stuck to it and um, was determined to overcome her fears and to uh, become a rocket scientist. And she did. And her her job was to calculate the probability of catastrophic explosions in space flights because of her um, her mathematics background, her specializing in math. And uh, she, during her career, she launched helped launched 28 space missions. Uh, during 10 years that she was a rocket scientist, and this included Endeavour, Atlantis, Columbia, and Discovery, names that we all have heard. You know, it's funny. Let me just tell you this quick, quick story about <laughs> my NASA connections. Um, do you remember, I don't know if you were in NASA in 1993, were you? Uh, not
2: 1993, but NASA. 1998,
1: yeah. Okay. Yes, that's right. You said that. Okay. Well, in 19, but still, you'll probably remember this. In 1993, there was a rocket that was supposed to go up. That was the first rocket that was supposed to have an ad, an ad on the side of it, and oh. they had people bid for the ad space. And ah. Columbia and Sony won. I mean, bid the most, and they were going to advertise Schwarzenegger's last action hero on the side of the rocket. Do you remember that? <laughs> No, no, but tell me, tell me, please. <laughs> okay. And I was, um, and still am to, to a degree, but I was really, uh, at that point, I was very much into being an anti-media violence activist. I spoke before Congress and uh, did protests at movie theaters, including for Schwarzenegger's movies, all kinds of things. So when I read uh, that they were going to have a NASA rocket, first of all, be smirched by having a tacky ad on the side of it. That alone was pretty bad. But to have it be for a violent movie was just too much. So I went on a three-, four-month campaign to get people to contact NASA, the president, uh, Sony Columbia, and Schwarzenegger's publicist to um, try to stop the ad from going on. And in the end, I got so many people to write and call, and and you know the NASA hotline, the NASA waste hotline, um, and and you know the, all these people that I, that I, all the the contact information that I gave out, that I ended up stopping the rocket. Congratulations. Because it had gotten such a bad name that the private industry that were going to have experiments on the rocket didn't want to be involved with it anymore, which is not what I was trying to do. But (laughs) at least it it stopped um, an ad for a violent movie going up into space. So I thought you might get a kick out of that now let's Ooh, get back well, to you. <laughs> that is really cool, especially because that was before social media that yes. is when that
2: was when oh, email was just being introduced <laughs> as a way of communication before facts so that well, was a, I did a, a it jump. with
1: by television interviews and radio interviews mm. and uh, personal appearances and um, you know, press releases and, you know, a- anything and everything that I could and my publicist could muster. So um, that's how we did it. But, yes, it would have been a lot easier for that email. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, um, so so during these 10 years, you had a wonderful, must have been incredibly exciting, and you, you talk about how um, you were mentored by wise men to launch rockets and female yeah. administrative assistants, how to be cool under sexist pressure. Now I don't know what you think about this, but um, you didn't need, and I didn't either, need the Me Too movement to um, to get ahead. Um, you, you know, we didn't wait for people to liberate us uh, to follow our career path, what we wanted to do, and to make it in a man's world. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you. How you feel about all of that, but I, um, I am. I just feel that women should kind of get it going themselves, and and not feel that they, not feel that they um, should be poor me. uh, You know, uh, this is why I'm not ahead.
2: Do you know what I notice is that um, with any type of movement, if you really want something, you've got to move for it for yourself. You can't mm-hmm. wait for anybody else to give you the go-ahead for it. You can't wait to, and this is across the board. If you want to be an author, you can't wait for a publishing company. You've got to write it. If you want to be a TV host, you can't wait for someone to sign you. You've got to create your own stuff. If you want to be a rocket scientist, you can't wait for someone to hire you to rocket scientist. start studying the mathematics right now. It's, it's about taking the ownership over your life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what type of situation that you've been through. When it comes down to it, if you're an adult, if you're af- over 18 years old, it's time for you to start taking ownership over your decisions to make your life the, in the direction or, or create the direction that you want in your life because no one else is going to do it except you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, so so important. Such an important um, uh, lesson for people, you know, such important advice. Um, so tell us about, so how, why did you, so, so now uh, Olympia is a Spencer Time, part-time teaching at Pasadena City College, teaching math, and also as an author and speaker traveling the world, or at least traveling the nation, uh, talking about all the things that she's been talking about today and, and trying to um, really also using, um, brain power, talking more about that, using brain power to um, to get rid of the fear and basically t- teaching people what she taught herself. So what, what made you decide to leave after 10 years to do this?
2: It, it was a combination of events that uh, inspired me to leave rocket science. Uh, number one was I had finished my master's degree. I had been working in the role, and I realized the program that I was working on, which is the Space Shuttle Main Engine Program, was about to retire. And to give people an idea, it's like having a 1979 Honda Civic still driving on the road and it being 2018. It's just not safe. And so they had to create a new version of the rocket. And I could be on different other advanced programs, but I thought, well, what if I tried to use my math and science in another area? And so that's what I did. I was recruited uh, by the Federal Reserve at the time. Hmm. And I worked for the Federal Reserve in banking. And I worked there for a short amount of time. And I just realized I wasn't a banker. My, my passion wasn't banking. My passion was always science. And that was the wake-up call for me. I, I left thinking that I could use mathematics and science in a, in a new way, and which I did, but I recognized my passion was always science. Uh-huh. So I, I left that, and then I thought, well, what I really enjoy doing Uh, In the middle of the night working 13-hour days, if I had to work long, long hours, what would it be? And the truth is teaching people and educating people on how to understand how to solve problems. And the the way that I saw it first was mathematics. I didn't recognize that it was going to be all these other ways with books and and TV shows and and lectures and and keynote talks, but at first I thought, okay, well, why why don't I go into helping people understand mathematics? So I went down to the local community college and I said, well, I would like to teach a class in mathematics. So I started as a part-time mathematics uh, professor, and that was 10 years ago, And, and I started doing that. And in the process of helping people understand mathematics, these were adults coming back to school at nighttime, and I realized, well, why do why are people having such difficulties in mathematics? Out of all these years tutoring mathematics and helping people, well, what are the difficulties, and which is happening? And so that what led me to write my first book, Mathophobia: mm-hmm. How You Can Overcome Your Math Fears and Become a Rocket Scientist. And I had to throw in the word the, the rocket scientist in there because that's what people always think. Oh my God, once you really learn math, you can become a rocket scientist. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote the book to help people understand the four main fears that people face when they encounter um, problems. Uh, They turn into uh, this mathophobia character, and what I call mathophobia, it's a severe fear that hinders someone from problem-solving, and the way it comes out is in mathematics. And Uh the reptilian part of the brain just fires, and it shuts down the frontal part of the brain lobes, so someone can't creatively solve problems. So... I wrote this book to identify how you uh, can understand which one of these characters you're falling into when you're scared up out of a problem. Hmm. You could be Quincy the quitter, you can be Donna the overdoer, you can be Samuel the struggler, or you can be Crystal the criticizer, and with, when you're able to identify which type of fear you're having, whether it be in mathematics or any type of problem that you're trying to solve that has nothing to do with mathematics, that's when you can take ownership over the problem and change the way that you're thinking. So when you change the way you're thinking and reprogram your brain, you can actually take different actions that can really rewire your brain, and that's what I had to do for myself. So Quincy the quitter becomes David the determined, and huh? the the uh, Donna the overdoer becomes Sarah the strategist. Uh, Samuel the struggler becomes... Ivan the Innovator and then Crystal the Criticizer learns to explore and become (laughs) a beginner again and Ellen the Explorer. And so that book was written for people who were returning back to school uh, or people who were going into their math courses and hadn't taken math for a long time and it gave them an opportunity to empower themselves Mm -hmm. on how they can change the way that they were, they could take ownership over their own thoughts so they can change their brain and change the way that they're looking at their problems so the fear wouldn't take over and would not, cripple them when it came to finding answers in their life.
1: So now let's go right into, because we're kind of running out of time, let's go right into, and I can see where that does flow into this, Answers Unleashed. Tell us more about Answers Answers Unleashed, your second book, your current book. Yeah, The
2: second book, Answers Unleashed, The Science of Unleashing Your Brain's Power, is dealing with, when we go through different chaotic situations and traumatic situations, like I've been through and like other people, many people have gone through these type of situations, like for example, one out of four women have been sexually assaulted or raped across the world. And and these are statistics. This is a lot of people. Uh, There's a lot of people that Mm -hmm. go through poverty. There's so many different people that has gone through very traumatic situations. Every single single person has had a painful memory. And that painful memory translates itself into fear, which which literally stops our faith-based power with being able to see ourselves successful in the future in the role in which we have always desired to become. Mm -hmm. So... That type of fear can be removed by understanding that the chaotic situation that you went through actually could be a blessing in disguise. And if you learn to change the thinking around the type of situation, then you no longer give the situation power and you give yourself back the power to move forward with the life that you have always designed for yourself. And so Mm -hmm. that's what the book is about.
1: You know, uh, well, let me give out the two websites that people can go to for more information. Because, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's been so interesting talking to you. <laughs> <We haven't, laughs> there's so much more that uh, that we could talk about, but I know that people can find some of this information on your websites. One is one website is AnswersUnleashed.com, that uh, is all about your book, and then uh, your main website OlympiaLapointe.com, and that is O-L-Y-M. P I A L E P O I N T. Olympia LePoint.com. So, um, uh, Olympia, thank you so much. Oh, for sharing it's my pleasure to this. be on your show. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, thank you, you know, for your it, questions. Well, you're welcome. I mean, there are so many people who need who just kind of feel sorry for themselves and who who would have in your circumstances um and just kind of quit. And um, and, and you really embody the idea of, uh, you know, whether somebody wants to be a rocket scientist or they want to be whatever they want to be, um, you know, so many people get stuck along the way and never achieve what they really dreamed of, just like when you were six and you saw that picture and you saw yourself in that, wanting to do that, it just kind of clicked with you. That happens to a lot of people and yet they tell themselves uh, or other people tell them, oh, that'll never happen, you can never do that, and they give up. So you, your story is really a very, um, uh, really gives people a lot of hope that, um, that they can, can do this as well. And, of course, that would be helped if they buy your book, Answers Unleashed, and they can find the steps to doing that. So thank you again. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.